So in the spirit of the holiday season, with the lights and music that are coming to us, the colors, um, the decorations, the festivity, I'm going to read our Christmas story and then have a few things to say about it, okay? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was present with God, and the Word was God. This one was present with God in the origin. I should have told you. <laughs> I'm reading from the non-traditional Advent story this morning. So we'll deal with your sadness about that in just a minute. But let me finish first. <clears throat> All things came to be through him. And without him came to be not a single thing that has come to be. In him was life, and this life was the light of people, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not conquer it. There came a man sent by God whose name was John. This man came in witness that he might testify about the light, so that through him all might have faith. But only that he might testify about the light, he was not that light. It was the true light which illuminates everyone that was coming into the cosmos. He was in the cosmos, and through him the cosmos came to be, and the cosmos did not recognize him. He came to those things that were his own, and they who were his own did not accept him. But as many as did accept him, to them he gave the power to become God's children, to those having faith in his name, those born not from blood, nor from a person's desire, but of God. And the word became flesh and pitched a tent among us. And we saw his glory, glory as of the Father's only one, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him and has cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who is coming after me has surpassed me, for he was before me. A little bit complicated. For we have all received from his fullness and grace upon grace. Because the law was given through Moses, the grace and truth came through Jesus the anointed. No one has ever seen God the one who is uniquely God, who is in the Father's breast, that one has declared him. It's lovely, right? But it's missing a lot. <laughs> I don't know about you, I felt a little sad and truthfully a little nervous when I had chosen this passage to preach to you from this morning because it doesn't have all of the delightful things. It doesn't have the people. It doesn't have Zechariah and Elizabeth and the wonderful, cute, sort of funny story of them encountering the angel. It doesn't have Mary. It doesn't have Joseph. It doesn't have a donkey. <clears throat> it doesn't have a perilous trip to Bethlehem where there's <clears throat> no room in the inn and a stable and animals. And it doesn't have angels. Angelic announcements, angels in the sky, it doesn't have a star. <laughs> you know, I had the wondering, like, what would Christmas be if this was our only story of Advent? 
Would we have decorations? There are no sages from afar bringing, would we give gifts? Would we have wrapping paper? I, I even wondered if we'd have Santa Claus. Because like I know Santa Claus is not in the story, right? There's no reindeer and Santa and whatever. But Santa, with the reindeer zooming across the sky, maps much more onto a stable filled with animals and angels in the sky than whatever it is that's in here. <laughs> so, I'll just give a moment this morning. I chose this passage because it leans into the theme that we've chosen to pay attention to, light shining in the darkness, right? The artwork that we have definitely an Advent-worthy theme, but a moment of grief this morning to say, yes, we're not going to encounter donkeys or angels or people or fun events. But given that, this is nonetheless a story told by this person with some thoughts about what it meant for God to come into the world as God did through Jesus at this specific moment in time. I feel like the feeling, the emotion of the story feels resonant with our traditional Christmas Advent telling. There's darkness in there. There's warmth. There's affection. There's this encounter. So the question is, Given that this is not the other stories, first of all, I'm grateful that we have multiple stories from multiple points of view and perspectives and times. What does this story give us that the others don't? Right? Is there something helpful in this one that can come to us this Advent season? that can be relevant to us now, that can be helpful to us now? into which we can find ourselves situated? And I think the answer is yes, and in a very lovely way. So, the first thing that I note that's different about the stories than the traditional ones, than the ones from the accounts attributed to Luke and to Matthew, you know, that's, those are the ones where we get most of our Christmas loveliness, is from those. Those really lean into Jesus as a baby, right? So one of the things that we have to wrestle with in our faith tradition, in our Christianity, is we have Jesus at the center, fully human, fully God. And wow, that produces a lot of tension. Interesting complexity. The other stories of Jesus coming really lean into the human part. He comes as a baby, as an infant. The diminishedness of that, the littleness, the dependency of it. And oh, yes, it's lovely, but it's a baby, right? <laughs> Who doesn't really know much and needs a lot of help. This writer has leaned into the divinity, the godness of Jesus. And so, sure, Jesus comes as a baby, but this writer reflecting a stream of thought, this this story was actually written probably a couple of decades after the other when people have had more time to try to understand Jesus, who Jesus was, what God was doing through Jesus. 
So this writer has a conception of Jesus as being through and through, fully God, which meant that Jesus has been around forever, since the beginning. Jesus has been fully aware of everything, and Jesus is fully involved in having produced everything, right? So Jesus is creator. Jesus is aware. Jesus knows everything that's going on. And so the first <clears throat> implication of that for this story, when Jesus comes into the world, when God comes to us through Jesus, is that Jesus knows you and me and the whole cosmos through and through fully. Jesus is completely familiar with everything. Nothing comes as a surprise. And it's a familiarity that breeds affection. You know, I think about, we, we had this invitation to produce artwork, and some of it was displayed here, and again, you can see it online, some of it's in the sanctuary. <laughs> when someone produces a work of art, you and I can look at it, and we can experience what it means to us, and we can try to understand what was going on in the mind, in the heart of the person who produced that work, but the person who produces it has a kind of familiarity with it that you and I will never have. Right, a unique kind of familiarity with it. They know where it was produced, when it was produced, why it was produced, and it reflects something of them. Right? It comes from their mind, their heart, their experience. And so that's the feeling that comes through this telling of God coming into the world through Jesus. Jesus made it. Jesus has known it since forever. And so has just a through and through familiarity. So even when Jesus encounters darkness, right, the writer doesn't explain when Jesus comes into the world, when God comes through Jesus, he encounters this thing that he understands very well and has affection for, it's dark, but there's this sense in which Jesus isn't surprised. He's not put out, he's not baffled, he doesn't go, what's going on here? He just knows you. He knows me. He knows us. And he comes then in this knowing with a particular attitude <laughs> that's just lovely. I would call it um, like easeful presence. It's kind of surprising when you think about how God represented coming to humankind typically looks. Right? When people think about God coming to humankind or coming into the cosmos, God is often very much other. God comes as someone who's coming to take over. So with authority, God is angry. God is powerful. God is going to extract. God is going to assert control. God is going to violate often the created world, and human beings. But Jesus doesn't come that way. In familiarity with what has been made, he, there's this language, there's grace, there's truth, grace upon grace, affection, and then this perfect image. He pitches his tent amongst us. Right? My children 
Their favorite, so my, my older son and his wife, two grandkids, they like visiting us. They love visiting grandma. They love visiting my mother. Because when they go there, it's just this place of ease. My mother just welcomes them into their home. Everything is kind of oriented around them. And my, and my mother takes care of them <laughs> in a way that we might aspire to, but don't quite pull off. <clears throat> and so they just settle in. They're kind of the center of attention. You know, food is prepared for them. Food is cleaned up after them. They just spill out. They don't even want to go anywhere. Like, they don't want to take little trips to the beach. They just want to be in my, my mother's backyard. I remember this, one of my favorite memories from my own young adulthood was when I went to visit my grandparents. They, they developed a farm. They had, you know, the White House on the hill in the middle of the country, middle of nowhere, grandma's cooking and food. There was, when I entered their home, just, I don't know what, there was like lastingness there. It had been what it was for a long time. It would continue to be what it was after I went. They paid attention to me, fed me good food. I could be completely who I was in their home where they were completely who they were, you know? And it's that kind of feeling, that image of God coming through Jesus is described as he pitches his tent among us. It's like the perfect visitor, right? <laughs> it's someone who comes. They're not coming into your home. So you don't have to scramble how you live. You don't have to take care of them. He's brought his own little dwelling. I don't know, puts it in the backyard. But he's also present. He's obviously available, comfortable, at ease, Maybe he lights a little fire. You can come visit. He can come visit you. So he's accessible and close. And it's just easeful and lovely. Which is good, it turns out, because not everything in this scenario is wonderful. <laughs> So God comes through Jesus in this easeful way, completely familiar with you, completely familiar with me. But there is some tension, and it's because Jesus comes. So the primary uh, activity or identity ascribed to Jesus as Jesus comes to humankind, comes into the cosmos, is as an illuminator. Right? That's what Jesus is described as doing. Now, it's interesting to think about what he's not, then, primarily described as. Again, God coming through Jesus into your old world and mine, into the cosmos, is not described primarily as a, uh, an autocrat, a dominator, a taking-over person, an extractor, a critiquer, a violator, a condemner. You know, none of these kinds of things, which I'm glad for, <laughs> but an illuminator, you know. Illumination is not necessarily, at least in this story, and certainly in my life experience, a happy occurrence. <laughs> There's no diminishing in the text that you and I live in darkness, that the cosmos is filled with darkness, human systems are filled with darkness. My life is filled with darkness, which I deeply appreciate. 
I don't necessarily want to turn somebody to turn on the lights so that I have to see myself for what I am, for I have to see my participation in systems for what they are. So I have to see the world, the cosmos, for what it is. You know, so God coming to us through Jesus is as an illuminator. And that's the challenge. That's the rub. That's the, the thing that causes us to wrestle, to rebel, to say, oh, shut out the lights. Stop that. Don't make me see those things. But there are two things in the story, in this account, that give me hope of our ability to contend with the illumination of this person who knows you and me through and through, who loves you and me, who likes being with us. Two statements that give us hope. The first is, the light comes into the darkness, but the darkness has not conquered it. Okay, now, I, as a person who have been trained in kind of conservative Christianity, feel a tremendous sense of relief at that. Because even though I have learned that God is super powerful, I've also learned that my badness, my darkness, is really, really bad and, and very threatening, right? The quality of my darkness can, has the potential like, to undo all the goodness of God and to threaten the community. Certain aspects of darkness in the conservative mindset just have a lot of potential to wreak havoc. But what the story is saying is, yeah, I have darkness, Jesus is going to illuminate my darkness, I'm not going to like it, but it's just okay, because Jesus' light's going to keep shining. My darkness is not going to undo it, so I don't have to feel so threatened by even my own darkness, right? It's just going to be okay. Jesus' light is going to win. And then there's this phrase too, the one action that comes from God in this story, As many as did accept him, to them he gave the power to become God's children. Now, I have to say I've become a little suspicious. When I have kind of a mechanistic interpretation of something, when I'll use the word magical, when I encounter something in the text where if I engage in a specific activity, thought, behavior, it flips a switch, causes something to happen in a mechanistic way. I've come to be suspicious of that. I, think, I, don't things really, I don't think things really happen mechanistically, nor do I think they're magical. Like, I can hear this and think, if I have a certain thought or say a certain, certain thing, I will be transformed as a person in some way that's probably really good, but that I don't quite understand. You know, I feel like in the end what that does for me is it deflects me away from something deeper that I'm just not perceiving. And so in this story, what I wonder if the writer is telling us, this one action, this one participation, this one thing that God does, so we're packaged in illumination and the experience of being illuminated that comes to us through Jesus. Could it be the case that Being a child of God is just saying yes to being illuminated, right? It requires power. It's hard. I can't tell you. I mean, my own experience of being illuminated usually comes through prayer or through counseling or through an argument with my wife. (laughs) And I... (laughs) 
The sad thing is I only actually experienced the illumination like three hours later when there's this ravagement of an argument and holy cow. <clears throat> and then it's like, yeah, you're right. Right, the experience of being illuminated, it's hard. I really, really don't want to see what God would show me. I don't want to see my participation in systems of oppression that benefit me, right? I really, I don't. And so could it just be the case that in this story, this saying yes to Jesus is essentially saying, okay, I've come to a place where I'm ready to be illuminated, but I need your help to stay with that. I need your power to sit in that. And that that's what it means in this moment to become a child of God. A child of God is someone who is willing to be illuminated by God. And who then maybe has the capability to bring illumination into the world, right? In the way that God does through Jesus. If we could model ourselves on this, it's amazing. It's just such a lovely representation of how God comes to us. This easeful presence that brings illumination. Right? But so if that can be what it means for me to be a child of God, I say, yes, Jesus, I hear your offer of help in making this shift. I'm going to take that. I'm going to sit with that. I'm going to let you do that to me. I'm going to let you do that to the systems that I inhabit. I'm going to experience your light. And I then myself am going to bring light to the world around me. So that's the offer. That's what comes to us, I think, through this story, which I think is actually quite, I don't know, lovely and inspiring to me. So we'll make our shift now to the rest of the service. The band can come forward. Um, I'm just going to lead us in prayer for a moment. If this has resonated with you, just a moment to kind of say, yes, I hear this invitation I'd be happy to taste it, to give it a try. <laughs> um, and then we'll continue forward together. So Jesus, oh, we could sure use light, your presence. We're grateful that you're familiar with us, that you're not surprised by anything you encounter in us or in our world, that nothing about who we are or what we do will overcome you. So in this moment, we turn to you, Jesus. We give you this moment for us just to say yes to this possibility.